welcome to the Star Trek show. Do you want to do the opening? <laughs> no. Very well. Greetings. Welcome aboard the Diecast Enterprise. This is Pags. And I'm Foley. And have we got a real treat for you this week because it's time. Justice. For justice. Yes. And justice, as you know, involves the sex planet. And one of Wesley Crusher's closest brushes with death. <laughs> Wesley leads a life of excitement. And I'll be honest, he's starting to get on my nerves. Already? A bit. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, seven episodes into season one. Well, and I you mean, already he's... wish he was dead. <laughs> no, listen, I don't have the same kind of distaste for Crusher as you do. No. But this episode has a number of moments where Wesley is just... We're Starfleet. We don't lie. That was great. He's full of childish hubris. You know, the thing about you is, no matter what position I take, you will invariably go for the opposing position. No, I won't. It's my job. (laughs) I think sometimes you do it just to fuck with me. Can we talk about Wesley's sweater? It's just his standard brand this episode. You're right. He's got the one-stripe pants again. Mm -hmm. I'm more excited about the pants or the sweater in this time around. Also, they went to a planet where Wesley's shoes fit right in. Wesley does make it known that Starfleet personnel, they know how to run. Oh, yeah. Don't, Don't think for one instant that they don't know how to run because they totally know how to run and they will run their asses off. So we just get right into the minutiae or should we like, give a synopsis? Do you want to do the synopsis? I'll try. Okay. So the Enterprise busily dropped off some Federation colonists at a nearby planet. After they were done with that, they were all tired and they were just about to fly off on their next mission when they encounter a Class M planet, which appears to have life forms on it. And uh, What the hell? Let's make first contact. Yeah, more or less. They're like, let's go check it out. And um, rather than sending down a away team or a diplomatic group, they just decide, let's have shore leave. Well, no. No, they send their away team first because this is why Wesley goes down in that group is to assess the planet's suitability as for shore leave though for shore leave yeah yeah they're gonna have shore leave there but after they've established first contact oh okay well first contact involves some really kind of too close hugs and really not enough research on Lieutenant Yar's part and let's be honest this oh. whole episode is Tasha Yar's fault you threw her under the bus while we were watching this and mm-hmm. I don't know like she said it's, she read the laws it was her responsibility to understand this shit before exposing the crew. Okay, the episode more or less can be summarized by the opening scene when Picard, before they cut to the credits, Picard says, this planet looks great. Let's hope it's not too good good to to be be true. true. Dun dun dun, ominous music. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Writing. (laughs) It was great, because that's basically what happens. It seems like a really nice planet where everyone wears um, kind of Mormon underwear. (laughs) Is that what Mormon underwear looks like? I think so. I'm not a Mormon I've never seen Mormon underwear, but I've heard that they have to wear special underwear. If you Google it, you will see a lot of links pointing to a Star Trek episode called Justice. I don't want to Google that. Anyway, it's a planet where people do a lot of jogging. That's their main mode of transportation is prancing everywhere. Kind of prancing jogging, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I gotta be honest, it's a very white planet. Everybody's Aryan. Very Aryan. Like, it's everyone's blonde. and I gotta say, the dudes in general, like, even though apparently all they do is run, that's their primary and maybe only source of transportation, everybody's physique, especially the guys, they didn't appear to be very, like, they didn't have a real runner's physique. They were real, like, beefcake-looking guys. Yeah, yeah, they didn't look like joggers. Because, like, I know joggers, and joggers get kind of... More wiry. Yeah, lean, and... uh, These guys were real, like, these look like lifters. Yeah, these are weightlifting kind of physiques, not running physiques. So, the planet seems like a real 
really awesome place to have shore leave. It's beautiful. Like you were saying, the facility from Biodome is there. Yeah, yeah. Their city hall or whatever <laughs> is the Biodome from yeah. the Poly Shore classic Biodome. No sign of Poly Shore, unfortunately. No. It seems like a great place for the crew to get some R&R after a, a hard week's colonizing. And a buttload of sex, too. Like the crew is oh, going yeah. get it down there. Riker is like, he's, he's like all smiles before they even beam down. Riker cannot wait to get back to that planet because damn everybody wants it down there and Riker's totally okay with that he's like I am on board so they go for a jog to the biodome aka city hall and basically everybody there is just making out one guy's getting an oil massage from two oh yeah yeah as often happens you think gosh maybe I'll just uh, head down to city hall and get myself oiled down by two beautiful women because that's the kind of thing that should happen at you know your civic center I guess I don't know seemed Uh, great as we mentioned before the fashion choices are <laughs> oh man there's some real brave actors in this episode um, those outfits are uh, they're weird like I'm sure they're supposed to be sexy by virtue of not covering very much but I didn't find those, those you, did, you didn't like the moose knuckle well the moose knuckle was kind of weird the, the main actor are, the main yeah, guy the guy's like, shorts are pretty tight but they're oddly like I don't know how to describe it but you get uh, more that is to say you can see more in the outfits in Star Trek the motion picture than you can in these outfits like in Star Trek the motion picture you know a lot of the crew are wearing like these these spandex onesies and especially like one of the main characters Decker and you can clearly see Decker's package it's not unlike David Bowie in Labyrinth I had to break this to you but that's going to come up quite a bit in future episodes (laughs) oh good yeah these guys they're wearing these like really tight little and tiny shorts but their gear is basically absent I'm wondering if they're all wearing dancers belts that would be my guess as the only way to hide their uh, cash and prizes without... uh... Well, there'd be a lot of jostling with all the jogging otherwise. Yeah, yeah, but it's a weird look and uh, yeah, there's a couple of instances where like these guys appear to have like a really bad case of moose knuckle but that's all they have. (laughs) We could talk for the next hour about these guys' junk. We could, and let's do. Okay, all right. The next thing that happens is that Wesley goes off to play with some of the children. And while he's away, Yar has a discussion with a couple of their hosts who reveal the fact that there's only one penalty for transgression of any laws on their planet, and that is death. You would think something that Yar would have asked about before okaying bringing more people down to the planet. Right. She didn't do her homework, like you said. Earlier in the episode, she offered the captain her report on the laws and customs Mm -hmm. of the planet. Apparently, this report didn't include anything on punishment which seems like a really big oversight it's a mistake probably think about it you know you're arriving into planet for the first time obviously you want to know what the rules are down there and then knowing the rules you want to know what the penalties are for transgression of those rules Mm. here's our boy Wesley playing ball with these kids and accidentally jumps into a planter for new plants and this it was in one of the forbidden zones yeah it's yeah this is where they're watching that day so oh no Wesley's going to be put to death for trampling some azaleas. Did you get the breakdown of how the rules worked? Some randomly chosen yeah, some location random- on the planet is the only place on the whole maybe planet, maybe city, yeah. we didn't get that. Yeah, they, they, where- they were unclear on that. They just said that there's yeah. a punishment zone and it's totally random and you never know where it's going to be so nobody breaks any laws because no one wants to risk getting killed. Right, but anywhere else on the planet you can just get away with whatever you want. Pretty much. It seems like a very poorly thought out system of law to me, you know, because the implication is 
is that it's order by fear. You don't commit a crime because the potential is that you might get executed for it. But with only one place in the city or planet or whatever. Yeah, um, your odds are pretty good that you're in an area where no one cares. Exactly. So you would think that crime would actually not have subsided but would have grown because punishment would be rare. They also don't go into what the rules all are. They did mention that there are a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. Although, they, well, Riker said that, but then, I don't know. I'm gonna guess that when this system started, there were multiple zones changing daily in every city. So you think now they just cut it down yeah, to I, one I think, token zone? Yeah, I think basically what happened is that over the uh, the centuries, you know, as people became accustomed to following all of the rules lest they get killed, that they were able to cut back and cut back and cut back because the um, populace right. was just conditioned not to do that shit anymore. They did say basically crime was unheard of. Yeah, exactly. But uh, presumably when they first started the system, crime was rampant, so these zones were everywhere. So, I forget what their names were, but there are, there the are enforcers? No, the enforcers enforcers of the oh, law. Oh, mediators. The mediators, who wear slightly different colored uh, underwear. Yeah, they, more they, gray. More, yeah, more silver gray instead of the seafoam pink. It was funny, though, after being overrun by people in white skivvies, to see the dudes in the slightly gray skivvies. They really did have an air of severity and officialness. Yeah, they totally did. And one like, of them really looked like Scott Thompson from The Kids in the Hall to me. The lead mediator, just looking at his face, I'm like, wow, that's like severe Scott Thompson. It was awesome, actually. Maybe if they remade this episode they could cast Scott it does seem like Scott Thompson's dream planet pretty much yeah people prancing around would be awesome yeah you dig it beefy dudes (laughs) what I was going to say though was um, so the mediators I guess are the ones who I presumably choose where the enforcement zones are Mm -hmm. and And, the zone seems to change like and it seems to change but did you notice how when Wesley tripped over the flower bed which was in the zone the mediators jogged to the scene in like I don't know 10 seconds yeah do you think like were they just hiding in a bush behind just out of sight waiting to see if anybody Maybe there are, like, duck blinds all over the city where the mediators wait and watch. Well, they'd have to be nearby because they're on foot like everybody else. Exactly. What a Uh, crappy job. easily disarmed as well. So, I mean... Oh, well, yeah. Presumably, you know, any criminal on the planet wouldn't have a lot of trouble escaping punishment because mediators are really easy to overcome. Maybe that's how they're selected there. They're the best distance runners on the planet. (laughs) That could be. We haven't even talked about God yet. Oh, yeah. God's in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so above the planet, while Wesley is getting a death sentence. But look at him now. He's scared. <laughs> like, it would be better to kill him if he didn't know it was about to happen. Riker prevents his lethal, his death by lethal injection, and that's what Scott Thompson says to him. Yeah. Chastising him for not allowing <laughs> him to kill him. Why won't you let us kill this child? Look, he's scared now. Now you scared him. You've ruined it. We could have just killed him while he was confused. He would have had time to react. It doesn't give me a boner if they're scared. I only like killing them when they don't know it's happening. A murder boner? Yeah. Presumably. I'm going to edit this part out of the episode. Why? Gonna edit out murder boner. Too edgy. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, the Enterprise encounters God, or at least what the Edo consider their God, as sort of trans-dimensional space station. Space station? It's the same model used a bunch of times. It gets reused a bunch of times in future seasons. The way the crew speak about the God space station, it's pretty clear that when they wrote it, they didn't know what it was gonna look like, and when they filmed, they still didn't know what it was gonna look like, because... Probably, yeah. 
the way they describe it doesn't really fit with the visuals. It is a large object floating in space. Yeah, it's there and it's not there. But none of them ever say it seems to be some manner of space station, which all of us can see plain as day that it appears to be some manner of space station. It doesn't appear to be a vessel of any kind that we're familiar with, but it sure looks a damn lot like a space station as we've encountered them in the Star Trek universe. No, you're right. It's quite possible the model wasn't done or they hadn't even... Yeah, that's that's what I'm getting at, is it's kind of an interesting uh, peek behind the veil of how they make the show that it's clear that they didn't know what this thing was going to look like because of the way they talk about it in the show doesn't really match up with the visuals. I thought they just shot the show in space. What are you talking about? I don't don't understand. Carry on. Right, so this space station, the, the beings, open communications with the crew of the Enterprise, and this sort of glowy blue sphere comes onto the ship and um, says in a booming godlike voice. <laughs> it shakes the entire we, ship. It does. Giving us some classic Star Trek acting. People lurching back and forth. A lot of shaky camera. Gripping onto uh, consoles for support. Classic it, stuff. It demands that they leave. Uh, what is the purpose? Oh, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Later he says leave my children alone. Yes. It's funny, you know, like the god thing hasn't quite grasped English it seems because like it asks questions that are really kind of vague like what is the purpose the purpose of what sorry right. you know, maybe it's asking about Geordie's visor you know maybe it's asking about their spandex uniforms what, what is, is the purpose, purpose of your fancy little onesies where can I get a sweater like Wesley's nowhere so naturally after yelling at the crew like that the thing decides to interface with data naturally data then collapses for a few hours while the thing I guess is probing him <laughs> so then the tension only rises because at that point then communication with the planet is restored restored after being cut off for quite a while and the bridge crew the, those that are left like Jordy and Picard and maybe most importantly Dr. Crusher learn that Wesley has been sentenced to death quiet high fives traded throughout the ship everyone's like yes <laughs> I don't think yes. they, I don't think they made like a shipwide announcement that this is happening <laughs> maybe they did no it's just word of mouth travels really fast it's like wildfire yeah people are like Wesley's gonna die Wesley's gonna die juice um, I'm sorry Mr. Wheaton please can we still be friends so then dilemma time for Picard because here it comes the big bad prime directive <laughs> Although I kind of like the angle in this. It's not just, oh, we can't interfere in the politics of the planet, even though we just decided to have our first surely season, there without really getting it, you know, The first season is they're very lax on Starfleet protocol. Like, it gets nailed down a lot better in the later seasons, but in this first season, they haven't really figured shit out yet, you know? So, like, this episode would never have happened in, like, season four or six or whatever, well, because the Enterprise would never have initiated first contact with a planet this primitive. The reasons that they're on the planet might have been better thought out, but the actual dilemma that takes place isn't bad, in the no. sense that they're facing this very powerful being who they don't want to piss off, basically. Mm-hmm. They know that the being, because, oh, the, sorry, we learned from when Data comes out of his coma, he basically tells them that this thing knows everything that he knows, and is aware of what Starfleet is, and what their laws are, and what the Prime Directive is. And may judge them by their own laws, should they... Uh, yeah, should they, should they violate their own stated laws? They might look upon the Federation as deceitful 
and untrustworthy, right. as they clearly don't even follow their own laws. So. so it's not so much about the Prime Directive itself, or in as much as it's just something that these people do. It's a rule that the Enterprise is supposed to follow. So if they were to intervene in the murdering of Wesley, that could be seen as a, a hypocritical act. Mm-hmm. So much hand-wringing ensues. Yeah, because they basically have to decide whether they're going to let Wesley die or not. Yes. And, you know, I'm sure the, a lot of the Star Trek audience out there is disappointed that the uh, decision came down in favor of Wesley not dying. No. But, as I was getting at before, the Prime Directive, like, they're not supposed to interfere with species that are uh, n- not advanced, you know? like they aren't. And I don't think that, uh, like I say, this is first season, early days. They haven't really got their shit together yet. I don't think this episode would have happened in season three or later because they would have said, the Enterprise, there's no way that they would initiate first contact with a planet at this specific level because these people don't even have space flight. Riker would have taken, in season three, Riker would have taken one look at the species on the planet and he would have been down there. <laughs> I'm being serious here. Like I'm, I'm trying right. to say that, uh, you know, in this first season, they're still figuring their shit out as far as Star Trek goes and yeah. they're still kind of playing it fast and loose the way the original series did where the original series, they had their prime directive too, but they also had their captain went on every away mission the most important person on the crew went into dangerous yeah. situations all the time, which they fixed in next gen. It's pre- probably fair to say that once the characters are more established once their continuity and their general behaviors were more crystallized, the bridge crew would have acted in a, much, in a more stodgy manner towards this planet. Mm-hmm. This is a species that does not have spaceflight yet, and as we learn later, also worships a god thing in the sky. Right. But even not knowing that, you don't make first contact with a planet that doesn't even have spaceflight yet, because they're not really ready for extraterrestrial contact. Once they leave the nest, as it were, then it's kind of like, okay, now they're out in the neighborhood, and it, we can... It's not like they freaked out when... I'm not saying that they would freak out. That's not the point. You know, it's not about how they would receive aliens or not. We see later on, like, the Federation, if they want to study a non-spacefaring culture, they can't make even their presence known to them because that would alter their perception of themselves and their place in not only their own planet but the universe because they're not aware of other cultures. They don't have confirmation that aliens exist. These guys, though, I don't know if we're supposed to think that that was the case with this planet, like that they weren't aware that there was other life out there or that there were other spacefaring races. Well, certainly they They just took it in stride. Certainly they've never encountered the Federation. Yeah. But we don't know if they haven't encountered anyone else. I guess... It's hard to say. I would, you know, just judging based on what we learn in this episode, I would assume that this is their first contact with, you know... It does beg the question how the Enterprise could ever figure out whether or not these guys were aware of spacefaring races without just phoning them up. Mm -hmm. So that would be awkward, I guess. Well, I mean, usually uh, in Star Trek, we figure out that they kind of just eavesdrop for a while, you know, listen in and try to get a feel for where the society is at and what they're thinking before they move on to uh, first contact but the point is that in later seasons first contact is taken considerably more seriously it's not something All you right. just do at the drop of a hat first contact missions are assigned by Starfleet Yeah. if you're going to do a first contact mission you don't just beam down and go hey here we are there are months of preparation involved maybe this is what it is is that at this point Picard and everybody else they're new on the Enterprise the Enterprise is the flagship of the Federation they're new on the mission they haven't had to submit back their first 
people report back to Starfleet, the Admiralty, but what they've been doing. Maybe Picard's like, they're breaking all the rules, but they're like, oh yeah, they're just going to get a wrist slapping at this point. <laughs> they're like, ah, oh, it's the first contact is a pain in the ass. Let's just do this now. We'll get in a little trouble, but it'll be okay because we're still new. Yeah. I think they're just using up their leeway. But you get what I mean, right? Like, I know. I know. Clearly, you know, first contact later in the Star Trek series is treated as a much bigger deal than this. You okay. don't see a lot of, uh, oh, hey, we just found this planet. Hey, let's have first contact. Why not? Let's do that. So anyway, more or less they get out of the sticky situation by Picard appealing to the interdimensional beings about the relativity of justice. And There can be no justice so long as laws are absolute. The punishment for Wesley's transgression was totally excessive. Exactly. The death penalty for disturbing some new plants is hard to accept as just. Yeah. So yeah. in the end, I guess, yeah, the away team is able to beam back to the ship. The, uh, the aliens allow them to leave. And um, what we think, they promised to remove the colonists from the other planet because yeah. that, that, I guess, one was that other planet was also under the domain of these they consider the whole star cluster theirs this mm. godship and Picard asks at the end of the episode if we will remove the colony from that planet just give us a sign if that's what you would like and the godship fades back into non-existence and Geordi's like was that a sign and Picard says I suppose it must be I was hoping for something more it's a bit vague it is a bit vague so whether or not that was a sign Picard appears to be erring on the side of caution by assuming that it must be a sign because and, and i guess i get that because clearly this thing is not to be fucked with i wanted something clear from picard too but it's whatever clear enough for me in just the use of the term must be but so, which gives the important questions though like mm -hmm. how many illegitimate children do you think the riker bridge crew like specifically riker but the rest of the crew uh, too, left I, behind I'm, on that planet i'm sure that riker left behind at least two or three kids on that planet yeah i'm pretty sure that that's as far as his seed got unless there were twins he didn't have that much time no he didn't and if we're gonna be honest i don't think he fathered any children down there i don't think he really had time to maybe to get down to business but if we're making fun of riker yeah riker yeah. has a string of illegitimate children amongst the edo now the first brunettes on the planet <laughs> they, he's ruined their purity oh no that's one of the interesting things about the episode is like there is like please don't do this to us please let us kill the child if we can't kill this child our society will collapse what? Then people will know that the law is not absolute. It's kind of silly, but I guess the episode does achieve exactly what it set out to, and that's to make you think about the nature of justice and sure. law. <laughs> well, I mean, we're yeah. talking about it, aren't we? We all learned a valuable lesson today. Hey, I'm not saying that it does it well. No, it's fine. But the title of the episode is Justice, and that's exactly what you end up thinking about and debating when you discuss this episode, is the nature of justice and laws and shit like that. How would you rank it? Oh, are we pulling up the ranks already? Hmm. It's too early? We'll no, wait. no, no. We can do the ranks. But let me see. I'm going to give this episode... I'll go full lieutenant. Two full pips. What about yourself, sir? I hate to agree with you, but I agree with you. <laughs> lieutenant. Yes, I know how much you dislike oh! agreeing with me. Oh, I hate it, it. burns you up inside. I hate it. Fills you with Klingon-like rage. Do we need something to disagree about? <laughs> Say the Klingons, perhaps? No, no, no. We can uh, save your Klingon rhetoric for a Klingon episode. Just you wait. We'll get into it. There's a couple of episodes 
episodes ago, fully let slip that I'm not a fan of the Klingons. But I feel kind of bad about that episode. Like, during yeah, the editing... You should feel bad. Shut up. Yeah, go on, go on. Listen, I feel kind of bad. Like, during the editing of that episode, I was listening to it, and I was like, this kind of makes me sound like a racist. I don't care for Klingons. This is like, this almost sounds akin to me to me saying, you know, oh, I'm not a fan of Mexicans, or I don't care for Puerto Ricans, you know, which is not what I'm getting at. The reason I do not like... Isn't uh, it? Shut up. I'm trying to express myself here. Right. The reason I'm not a fan of Klingons is because I feel that they're poorly developed and poorly written. I feel like there's a lot of potential with the Klingons, but I don't care for the way the series develop them. I find them kind of two-dimensional, flat. I don't really feel that the whole warrior honor culture was thought through well enough and I feel like that's reflected in the Klingon episodes that the logic falls apart when you look into it even moderately closely and that's my problem with the Klingons I would like the Klingons if they had been more fully developed and realized and made sense but I don't think they do ladies and gentlemen those were the words of an impudent topa anyways we'll get into it much 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 deeper in a couple of episodes because the first big Klingon episode is Ooh, yeah, coming, coming up coming soon. soon. Very soon now. What would you like to discuss right now, though? I was, One topic I, I kind of wanted to get into was, what do you think is the worst job for a, a member of, of the crew on the Enterprise? Hmm. Like, who's got it the worst? Who's got the worst job? Like, what's the worst duty? Like, we know, like, being Chief O'Brien, being the transporter attendant really sucks, but there's gotta be worse. Yeah, I'm thinking about that. Like, my initial thought would have been, like, waste management, but I'm yeah. actually thinking that no. In nope. the future, waste management would be way simple because well in the future we've got the matter teleportation technology all waste management should really come down to is like oh you know i'm done with this food you put it back on the replicator and the replicator converts that matter into energy so you don't think there's anyone on the enterprise that has the job no one has the job of like uh picking the gum out of the urinals that like a hundred people have pissed on potentially yeah like that job's gone you can just teleport the gum out no no but uh that's not technically waste management. That would be. More... I know it's custodial work. Yeah, that's custodial. Do you think they have like non-commissioned people to do that? Do they I contractors? So. Does Starfleet use contractors? I don't know about contractors, but there would certainly be like non-coms, like like Chief O'Brien. Like, yeah. so you think like somebody like Chief O'Brien's underlings? That's what they're doing with their time, cleaning Maybe. up the urinals. I don't know. I'm not or sure. Are there robots? Starfleet janitor could be. We never see um, any robots. There's probably a lot of automation that goes into it. Like, I'm sure that. Uh, well, I mean, think about it this way: razors in next gen are basically lasers there's no stubble to be rinsed away or anything the need for shaving cream is gone you just the stubble's just incinerated yeah exactly like there's clearly it's like a medical grade laser or something that's calibrated to only so do you think like waste materials in general are incinerated like do you think I don't somebody think they're incinerated I think something better happens to them can we talk more about the piss gum if we must look so someone has to clean that shit up so do you think they've got a mini like low intensity phaser to just destroy it? Possibly. Otherwise, they got to pick it up. I'm sure that there is probably some kind of cleaning mechanism built into these fantastic future urinals mm. that uh, can eradicate these things. That's I, assuming that anyone would actually spit gum into a urinal in the 24th century. Maybe it's punishable I, by death. <laughs> maybe. It ought to be. I, I kind of feel like a Starfleet officer wouldn't do that, but I don't know. 
Is yeah. gum not allowed on duty? I'm guessing um, not. Maybe it is. Who knows? But, pe- but people... I've never seen anyone in Next Gem chewing no. gum. <laughs> never. But uh, assuming that gum is there, I kind of feel like they would just put it in its proper receptacle. I don't think that they would put it in... Which is what, though? There's nowhere to do that on the bridge, for example. We don't see any, like, waste paste well, or paper baskets around the ship presumably, anywhere. Presumably... We also never see bathrooms, but whatever. Yeah, presumably, one wouldn't be chewing gum on the bridge or eating anything on the bridge. It's probably not allowed. But Picard, for example... I'm sure that there are waste receptacles in people's personal quarters that we just don't see. And or, if or I, can you just throw everything in the replicator? Well, that, this is what I was getting at before. Like, all I right, think right. here's here's what I think is happening with a bunch of stuff, and I think it's cool actually. Yeah, is that waste is basically converted into energy? Because remember, they have the technology mm-hmm. to convert matter into energy and back, right, but there's right. no reason that they have to turn it back. So it's probably an offshoot of transporter technology when they're done with their food or when they have waste that needs to be disposed of they put it into either the replicator or a waste receptacle and it is turned into energy and that energy is dumped into the enterprise uh, energy grid so you're saying that basically your dirty snotty hanky powers the ship it doesn't power the ship but it certainly can be used to add power to the ship like it probably doesn't add much we need a boost we're about to go into battle but you get what i'm saying right you know yeah, yeah. in a world yeah. where we can turn matter into energy then there'd be no problem with the safe disposal of waste products waste okay. products could just be turned into energy i totally get what you're saying but there's a reason i brought up the gum it's because it boils down to more to human behavior than anything else mm-hmm. anywhere you go now people can easily just put gum in a proper designated receptacle but they, but they don't, don't they stick right? it under tables they stick it under desks they put it in urinals they put it in urinals or whatever right so while there is something that most people should do and you could probably make a decent argument that anybody who's actually a commissioned officer or is employed by starfleet would probably obey the rules on a starship mm-hmm. there are kids there are children there are non-commissioned people they're just random. i totally get it like and i think that they're probably cleaning products not unlike the shaving implement that we've seen geordie use specifically designed to eradicate that kind of thing like the janitor goes into the the Starfleet restroom. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, there's gum in the urinal. He gets out his 24th century equivalent of scrub brush, and what it is is it's like just a rounded head that does the same thing that Geordi's shaver does, except like so, y- y- he puts it in there and it just, you know, it, like either er- incinerates or eradicates whatever the gum. So you're arguing in favor of the phaser. Basically. The cleaning yeah. phaser. I mean, it, I'm not, it's not going to kill somebody. Yeah, but... yeah, but the same kind of technology. Like, I'm not sure, I'm sure he's not getting out a phaser and shooting each uh, whatever each like, journal. he's like, got some he's got some handheld device which shoots a little beam at the dirt well it might be a beam or it might be just you know Jordy's thing where it's just you know like it might not be a visible beam I don't know okay but I'm sure it would just be like a scrubbing wand kind of thing which he puts in there and he just runs it over the surface and as it goes over the surface it's basically eradicating odor producing microbes and stuff like that Th- this pleases me greatly oh, I'm glad I think that cleaning implements that's probably how a lot of them work I'm sure that uh, so, but you sanitizing, you know, a surface probably works on the same thing. Like, it's not like a phaser, but it's probably the same type of deal. Like, it's uh, almost like a, you know, a laser. It uh, can penetrate.
penetrate the surface depending on uh, the uh, reflective index of the surface and you can set it so that while it's not damaging the surface it would basically obliterate microbiological organisms you know so so it's like you, you just run it over your uh, cutting board and no more salmonella so you definitely think there are custodial people on I the imagine enterprise. there would have to be like I'm sure that there's a way to automate some of these functions I, it's just we never see any droids no we never do why does Star Trek hate droids I guess it's too Star Warsy it could be and also I think it's a special effects issue too it's like, yeah it's, okay that's the real like, answer remember we do ha- we do see some manner of droid later on remember those little helper robot things that that lady creates oh the then, one that becomes sentient yeah like yeah 10 minutes yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's why they don't have robots because yeah. it makes for annoying plots well I mean that's the thing there are probably all sorts of small robotic assistant type devices that don't look anything like the stuff that we would see in a sci-fi movie because there's no reason to anthropomorphize these things so okay what about other jobs I think one that would be really bad maybe underratedly bad would be I guess basically to be Guinan or to be not necessarily to be the bartender but to be the person who has to hang out in 10 forward or anywhere that Synthahall is served that has to tell people they need to stop pretending to be drunk and go home <laughs> do you I, think people would pretend to be drunk that's what they're doing aren't they like Synthahall you can shake off its effects what does that even mean I didn't know that Synthahall you could shake off its effects I yeah. thought Synthahall had no effects I thought the whole point of Synthahall they, was I'm, that it didn't cause inebriation at all no well no it's not that the idea is supposed to be it simulates and mimics the effects of alcohol that's the wording they use oh. but the effects can be easily dismissed you can have like 10 synthahol beers and I guess be all drunkenly cavorting but then red alert sounds and then you're able to shake it off and go right to your post with no huh. effects that how is, the hell does that work I don't know because that is not how I took synthahol at all like I, my mind was I'm that, telling you that's how it's described oh I believe you I believe you like I'm just letting you know what I thought synthahol was was mm-hmm. I thought synthahol mimicked the taste of alcohol because the thing about alcohol uh, is the, the reason that non-alcoholic beer tastes gross is because alcohol has a very specific effect on your palate Mm. and there are alcohol soluble compounds that you can't taste without alcohol okay so I thought what synthahol was doing was synthesizing alcohol so that it tastes exactly like honest to goodness real deal alcohol but without the intoxicating effects no the Star Trek explanation is more interesting but also more weird huh and again that's fascinating I never took it that way so that's what they've said it's supposed to be so how would that really work so you have a bunch of synthahol Mm. drinks you feel drunk at some point, aren't you just faking it? Yeah, I don't well, get you it. Know, it's like that standard sitcom trope where like they gave a kid a bag of oregano instead yeah, of weed, yeah. and he pretends to be high. You know, it uh, exactly. Yeah, it, it's that placebo effect. It's, so uh, then Guinan has to say like, you know, oh, it's past. You know, you're going to be on duty in ten minutes. You, is, I know, this like is... we never see that happen in. in <laughs> this demeans us both. We never see that happen in Next Gen. Like we never see anyone get drunk off synthahol. No, we don't. In it's Next true. Gen. So, I don't know. It's, uh... Everyone always opts for the real thing. Whenever they can. Yeah, yeah, you know, like... Contraband like, Romulan Ale. Yeah, Romulan Ale, whiskey, or... Klingon smoky beverage. I, I'm, I'm just a big fan of green. Which one is the green? Well, they never name it. That's the gag. It was a running gag from original series, because in original series, there's a moment where, like, someone presents a drink to someone. What is it? it it's it's green. It's green, right. Okay, And then okay. in the episode where Scotty comes back, and he wants something real to drink, not just, you know, synthol crap, Data goes behind the camera 
counter at, at 10 forward and produces this yeah strength. produces this thing from Guinan's secret stash and it's like what's this and he's like it is and then he gets kind of puzzling and looks at it he's looking for a label and then he just it is green it is green so that job would suck I think mm-hmm. uh, any others someone has to be vacuuming that ship constantly why don't they have 24th century Roombas doing it that is, well because the Roomba didn't exist when this uh, <laughs> I know series was created but, uh, but you it, have a Roomba I love my Roomba I don't have a Roomba but you're right I guess they can't have that thing running around when there's an emergency the Roombas yeah. would have to be tied into the central computer so that in the event of a like a yellow alert or a red alert they would be deactivated so they would people wouldn't <clears> trip <throat> over them in the hallways absolutely and I'm thinking we've seen in the Star Trek movies yeah. custodial staff in Star Trek 3 you see a guy vacuuming what is essentially the Starbase's 10 forward oh. watching the Enterprise being stolen and he's got this cool <laughs> like his vacuum is basically a proton pack like he's got a backpack on Sweet. with a hose that comes out of it to his vacuuming wand nice. and I'm like wow the, these these amazing custodians of the future that get to wear their vacuums like fucking rocket packs the dudes on the ferries have a vacuums like that do they yeah maybe I should try to work for BC ferries again the future is now my friend I could be vacuuming yeah oh man yeah that would be bad any kind of custodial work is my go-to for jobs that I wouldn't want to have but there've got to be others uh, I guess you don't want to be on any of those decks like whenever the ship gets in in a fight you don't want to be on decks you know 37 through 48 or whatever the ones where they always lose containment i personally wouldn't want to be working in any section of the ship where i am protected from space by a force field yeah i want there to be solid transparent aluminum and metal between me and outer space fair enough i don't want to trust my life to a force field i don't trust force fields i've seen every star trek movie and i've seen most star trek episodes and i know how unreliable force fields are yeah no i have to agree with that Uh, anything else you want to talk about i think we've covered it that's that's good i think all right so that's it thank you for joining us aboard the diecast enterprise this is pags i'm fully and we will see you next time (laughs) 